In episode 81, America's getting a new president. I have some reaction and we hear reaction from listeners around the world. There's plenty of Apple discussion with another Apple event coming up. A look at the iPhone SE battery life. And Android users, we look at the Lookout app for your platform and much more. You're very welcome to contribute to the podcast, and there are two ways to do it. You can drop me an email to Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. You can write something in that email, or you can attach an audio recording using anything that records and that you can attach to an email. You can also call the listener line. That number is in the United States. It's 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736, and record a message that could be included in the podcast. Concise contributions always help. We can't include everything because of the volume of contributions we receive. And please note that if we do use your content, we reserve the right to edit it for clarity and brevity. You can follow Mosin at Large, all one word, on Twitter to join the conversation with other listeners, to get sneak peeks about what's coming up on the podcast. And I regularly tweet links that I think will be of interest to Mosin at Large listeners. To keep up to date with Mosin at Large and radio-related activities I'm doing, you can subscribe to our media email list. It's announcements only, and the traffic is very light. To do that, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosin.org. The podcast version of this show contains extracts from the full version, which is heard live on Mushroom FM at mushroomfm.com and anywhere that you listen to radio stations at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on a Saturday afternoon. For the full Mosin at Large experience, I encourage you to be part of that community. And finally, before we get into the episode this week, a reminder that this podcast is long, and to help you navigate past the bits that you aren't interested in to the bits that you are, it's segmented by chapters. If you have a podcast app capable of supporting chapters, and many on iOS and Android do this, you can skip between segments of the show. Thank you very much for being here for another edition of the show. I appreciate it a lot, especially when there are so many things you can be listening to at the moment. I'm checking in with you. How are you doing, first and foremost? You're feeling a bit sleep-deprived? If that's you, I totally understand. I definitely relate. We talk about a lot of things on this show, and if you go back all the way to episode one, you will hear me introducing the show and saying this is not a technology podcast. This is really me having a chat with you about the things that interest me. And if you know me even a little bit, you know that I am a major political junkie. So it's not surprising I want to spend quite a bit of time today talking about history unfolding, because the eyes and ears of the world have been focused on the United States this week. As we've watched, enthralled by one of the most extraordinary presidential elections in U.S. history. Some Americans listening will be feeling a bit bemused, I think, by the level of interest in this process from outside the country. And some may even resent it. And I understand that. What are all these foreigners doing talking about our processes and our democracy? I think to explain this, there's often interest in U.S. presidential elections because the U.S. is a superpower. Its policies, its economic well-being, its technology, its music and culture all have a significant impact on the lives of many throughout the world. Many of us do have a clear favourite in most presidential elections, I think, and we know how we would vote if we could. To those outside the country who aren't political geeks in the way that I am, the system seems incredibly convoluted and mysterious, which kind of adds to the mystique of the whole thing. But 
There's even more interest this year than in many other years, and the reason for that interest is the same reason that, despite a global pandemic which has been grossly mismanaged in the United States, Americans turned out in numbers not seen for well over a century in terms of voter turnout of eligible voters. Donald Trump is a deeply polarizing figure. And you only need to look at the way that the left has been mobilized over the last four years to know that people well and truly understood that those who wanted this man out of the White House were motivated and passionate. I think that many people didn't fully appreciate, though, just how passionate his supporters were and how many of them there were. Speaking purely from a political science perspective and as someone who has studied American politics both at university and before it and long after it, I am not at all surprised by the outcome. I hoped for a Biden landslide, but I was almost certain of a Biden win in one way or another because so many dominoes had to fall in the exact same way as they did in 2016, for Mr. Trump to get a second term. The pathway that he forged for himself in that extraordinary election four years ago was quite narrow. Any candidate with the burden of incumbency would have found that difficult. As we saw when Ohio and Florida held for Mr. Trump, there were still so many pathways open to Mr. Biden. I want to talk about the recovery process from here and start that off by saying that I have whiled away many pleasant evenings talking politics with people who have different views from me. You've got to be careful. Some people can't do this and you have a different view from them. They will attack you personally. But I love to discuss the fundamental questions of politics. What is the role of government? Where do you draw the line between allowing a free market to function well and intervening in the market to promote opportunity for all. Is all tax theft, or is a fair, adequate tax system a way of ensuring that everyone has the basics of life and our country has well-maintained services, defence and infrastructure? Is health care a human right? Now, these questions and many others like them are matters of opinion. And when I can find people who can defend their position cogently, The discussions can be quite thought-provoking. People can find angles I haven't considered before. And, of course, it helps me to understand the way that people think who have a different worldview. But those generally are not the sorts of discussions to be found in the United States at the moment. Those sorts of discussions, sadly, have been few and far between for quite a long while now, as many people treat politics not as a contest of ideas, but as a blood sport where their team is good and the other team is completely evil. But Donald Trump has stretched the very fabric of the republic to breaking point. He burst onto the political scene with the despicable racist slur that the then president of the United States, a man who has more emotional intelligence in his little finger than Mr. Trump does in his entire body, was born in Africa. There was never any evidence of any such thing. Pure dog whistle bluster for his own self-aggrandizement. Mr. Trump was a man for the times. Governments of both the left and the right have confined many people to the scrap heap, made them feel like they have no hope and no say in what happens to them, that they couldn't get ahead no matter what they did. In my view, as someone proudly on the left of the spectrum, I would argue that that's because governments have been too hands-off in the United States, and for that matter in a number of other countries. 
Couple that dynamic with the fact that anyone can now be a global publisher from the phone that they carry around in their pocket, and you have the ingredients for a demagogue to emerge, as he did. And of course, the more the establishment expressed their disdain and loathing, the more his supporters saw that as a badge of honour, and all the more reason to support him. It's become increasingly trendy to disregard the views of those who have specialist knowledge in what they're talking about. Climate change is nearly at the point of no return. Coronavirus spirals out of control, killing more people than many wars have taken from the United States. And his appalling antics of the last few days will have been chilling to most students of history. Key to any well-functioning democracy is a peaceful transfer of power and respect for democratic institutions. When you have leaders who defy those maxims, a country is in very dangerous territory. That's not to say that legal processes relating to recounts and due process aren't perfectly valid. Of course they are, particularly in close races where they could make the difference. But if aspersions are cast on the entire system itself, it opens up the Pandora's box that could encourage someone from the other side to do it next time when the results don't go their way. There is such distrust that the truth doesn't seem to matter anymore and hasn't mattered for a long time. Never mind that when Mr. Trump tweeted stop the count on Thursday US time, stopping it at that very moment would have left Mr. Biden with 270 electoral votes and enough to take the presidency. Never mind that some of the states he criticised were Republican run. Never mind the fact that we knew ahead of time there would be wild fluctuations in the data based on when election day votes were counted and when early votes, which disproportionately favoured Mr. Biden, were counted. So this is not a matter of left versus right. To me, there is something fundamentally pathologically wrong with Donald J. Trump. He seems to be completely lacking in empathy. I've never seen anything like it before. In his world, everybody is against him and he can do no wrong. I've always thought him profoundly dangerous And I have to say, those speeches that he gave in the last couple of days after the election were some of the most chilling that I have personally heard. The best thing Mike Pence can do in the interests of the Republic is to get the cabinet together, invoke the 25th Amendment and see out the remainder of this administration's term as president, facilitating the peaceful transition of power that is the hallmark of a well-functioning democracy. I don't agree with much that Mike Pence says, but I respect he has the courage of his convictions and that he's a fundamentally decent person. Because I tell you this, if a country like New Zealand had a leader showing dictatorial tendencies like this, I think America would be offering to send observers here by now. He cannot be allowed to burn down the house on his way out. I hope that America's institutions and the decency of most people are strong enough to hold until the fervour dies down. America will decide whether it pulls back from the brink or not, whether, with Mr Trump's time in the White House coming to a close, people will make more of an effort to disagree without being disagreeable. And hasn't the contrast between the two candidates post-election day been so stark? Mr Biden urging calm and patience and willing to wait for sufficient votes to be counted talking about how he'd attended briefings on COVID-19 
as new cases started reaching over 100,000 per day. I would like to think that most objective people would have heard the way he was conducting himself and thought, yeah, that's how presidents used to sound, dignified, reassuring. And no doubt the climate doesn't exist for it right now, but time has long passed for the start of a serious conversation about getting out of the 18th century time warp and abolishing the Electoral College. It has passed its use-by date. Now, we mentioned the Electoral College briefly on last week's show, and Michael Moran wrote in on this topic. He says, If we did not have the Electoral College in the United States, candidates would be able to just concentrate their efforts on the West Coast and the East Coast and maybe one or two places in the Midwest. The other states would not be adequately represented. Because we are based on a republic, we have representatives and the Electoral College is part of that setup. Thanks, Michael, for writing in on this. I understand that argument. And of course, the Electoral College has been democratized to some degree over the years. But in my view, it's not the best model in the 21st century. When everyone is connected and the decisions the president makes affect everyone across the country equally. There may be a concern about candidates not hearing the voices of smaller states, but the reverse is equally true. Look at the amount of time candidates campaigned in just a handful of key states. The Electoral College is also still prone to abuse. Already, there have been some calls for Pennsylvania's electors who go to the Electoral College to discard the will of the people, forget the popular vote and elect the other candidate. That is not permissible, by the way, in Pennsylvania. But the fact that in the 21st century that is even being suggested is incredibly dangerous. So keep the House and the Senate as they are. The Senate ensures that each state is treated equally. But the presidency should be determined by a simple national popular vote. Finally, I make this observation. I am an optimist by nature. I believe the heat will die down. And I believe that as a result... Many people who currently support him will come to see the Trump era as an unfortunate period in American history. It won't be very long before being described as Trumpish or practicing Trumpism is an epithet in the same way that we all understand what McCarthyism means now. It is possible to dial this back because I believe most people are fundamentally decent people. If you want some inspiration from recent history, listen to the way John McCain who ran against Barack Obama in 2008, stood up politely but firmly against a woman spreading misinformation about his opponents. And uh, frankly, we're, we're scared. Um, we're scared of an Obama presidency. First of all, I want to be president of the United States, and obviously I do not want Senator Obama to be. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, he is a decent person and a person that you do not have to be scared as president of the United States. Now, I, I just, now I just, now, now look, I, I, if I didn't think I wouldn't be one heck of a lot better president, I wouldn't be running, okay? And that's the point, that's, that's the point. Um, I gotta ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, He's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent, 
family man citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if it's even possible to get back to that point. I have to hope so. But, you know, I've talked a lot in this commentary about Mr. Trump, and that's a commentary in itself on the impact that the man has had. But I think it is important to acknowledge President-elect Biden. And I'd like to hope, it might be a vain hope, an overly optimistic hope, that most people who may not agree with his politics would agree that he seems to be a thoroughly decent man, full of empathy, oodles of empathy. He has withstood so much adversity in his life, bouncing back after the death of his first wife and baby daughter, raising those boys on his own for that short time until he met the woman who will soon be the first lady of the United States. Losing his son to cancer, he has suffered a lot. And I think he empathizes with the disability movement because he has overcome the stutter that he has. I mean, given his public service and the amount of public speaking he has to do, the fact that he has worked so hard to overcome that, I think is a real testimony to the man's character. And celebration time. Female leaders at the most senior level of government are not exactly a new thing for many of us, but America will finally have a female vice president. Of course, Geraldine Ferraro was Walter Mondale's nominee in 1984, and Sarah Palin was nominated by John McCain as his running mate in 2008. We had Hillary Clinton as the nominee in 2016, and we shouldn't forget, of course, that whether you like her or not, three million more Americans wanted Hillary Clinton to be president, according to the election in 2016, than Mr. Trump. But because of the Electoral College, she didn't make it. So this is a very special day. Vice President-elect Harris making history in all sorts of ways. We should also acknowledge and celebrate her black and Indian heritage. It really is an exciting and remarkable time when these milestones are achieved in any country. And certainly if Joe Biden does not run again in 2024, it puts Kamala Harris in a pretty good position if she makes a good fist of being vice president. Congratulations to them both. Plenty of email coming in on all of this, starting with one from Malaysia from Kavintran, who wrote this as results were just starting to come in. He says, at the time of writing, it is November the 4th in Malaysia, and I am in the midst of US election anxiety. Being a global citizen, I am extremely worried about the future of our world. Although it is not entirely dependent on the US now, as we have simultaneous global powers, the climate crisis is the single most important emergency in our world today. We need global collective action to be taken. As November the 4th will be the last date for America to remain in the Paris Climate Agreement, it is a frightening future ahead for the ecosystem. The Paris Agreement is the largest global-scale effort to be taken by human civilization to change the world to a sustainable future. I'd love to hear your thoughts and take on the climate crisis and how New Zealand is approaching it with policymaking. Well, this is an example of why so many people are taking an interest in the election. Obviously, the climate change disaster looms pretty starkly. We've been thinking a lot about COVID-19 in the last little while, understandably, but we also do have this climate crisis. And obviously, 
President-elect Biden has made the point that he will take America back into the Paris Accord, and many people around the world will be grateful for that. In New Zealand, we have a a left-of-centre government. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, of course, won a massive resounding re-election recently, and they are supported, even though they don't need to be, by the Green Party. And so our climate change minister here is a member of the Green Party. We're working through our own issues, of course, domestically. You've got to get your own house in order. And we're a fundamentally agricultural-based economy. So we've got emissions uh, based on methane, uh, the uh, usual farming challenges to deal with. And we have to make sure that we work with farmers in a sustainable way to improve that So we have a range of climate change initiatives going on. I think the important takeaway for me from your email is that that is another example of why so many people outside of the US have been taking such an interest in this election, because what the United States does or doesn't do in terms of responding in a mature way based on the science to climate change is very important to many of us. It actually matters. It materially impacts our daily lives and future. This one came in from Debbie Armstrong throughout the week. She says, we don't know who won or lost yet, and my mom and husband are glued to the TV. I can't stand the coverage. Just wake me when it's over. But what I want from you is this. I, along with many Californians, cannot stand Trump. Whether he wins or loses, I am baffled by his popularity. Could so many Americans actually be wrong? Did he really do great things for our nation? And am I somehow deluded by misleading liberals? Anyway, from your listeners, I'd like to hear from Trump supporters why they like him, and if he wins, why they are grateful, and if he loses, why they are disappointed. And from your listeners outside the US, I want to hear if there are any Trump lovers beyond our borders. I also want to know something of the history of democratic leaders in other lands. Who won your elections? Whose popularity baffled you? Certainly here in New Zealand, Debbie, I've had politicians who I disagreed with who've won resounding victories, and I've been baffled by that. But it's never been to the point where I have felt that what they were doing fundamentally endangered our democratic processes. I've strongly disagreed and had strong philosophical disagreements, but never anything quite like this. And I relate to what you're saying because I just find it so hard to understand how so many people are so enthusiastic. So I put this out there. If you don't know, we do have a media email list for this show and other activities that I do relating to radio and podcasting. And every week before the show, I talk about some of the topics coming up. And this is a really good way for you to know in advance what might be coming up so that you can get your contributions in. It helps me actually too when contributions come in in advance. If you would like to subscribe to that email list so you never miss a trick, you can send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. Most times you only get one email per week, two days or so before the show. media-subscribe at mosen.org. So on the email that I sent out in advance of this show, I mentioned this request of yours, Debbie, to see if we could get a Trump supporter or two to write in and tell us how they're feeling. And I got this email from Christopher Rice, so I will read it. But for moral, ethical and reputational reasons, what I'm going to do is have text to speech read this. 
There are statements in here that are false, factually incorrect. There's a lot of opinion here, and that's fine, but there are some false statements in this email. And there are also some statements that I feel very uncomfortable reading of a racial nature. And I don't want my voice out there on the internet having read this email. But we did ask for the perspective of Trump supporters. And so the best way to resolve that dilemma for me is for text-to-speech to read this and not me. So here's Christopher's email. Hello, Jonathan. The amount of hatred and pure evil I have observed from the left, Democrats, or whatever you wish to call them is sickening and makes me wonder about the future of the human race. They utterly hate Trump and it's been proven that they will lie, cheat, and otherwise not play by any rules in order to win and assume full power. The internet censorship is horrifying. Twitter, Facebook, and Google do it constantly. They silence any views that don't align with their extremely leftist philosophy. They claim they do it to stop hate speech and racism, but it seems as though they're the ones participating in these activities. They protect Joe and Hunter Biden despite the evidence that's been unearthed by the laptop from hell. They constantly claim Russia is meddling, even though it's been proven to be completely false. They tried to impeach Trump over a phone call that was squeaky clean. I'm sorry, but if you're stupid enough to leave an unencrypted laptop with such incriminating evidence somewhere without paying for or claiming it, I have no sympathy at all. However, Twitter, Facebook, and all the other mainstream publications refuse to post information about it and actively shut down anyone that starts talking about it. All they'll say is Russian bot, Russian bot, Russian bot. This is beyond sickening. Then of course we come to riots, Black Lives Matter, etc. The left believes it's okay for people to riot, loot, burn buildings, hurt people, etc. while telling the police to stand down. Seriously? Who in their right mind would want to support a party that supports this violent behavior that's supposedly bringing justice? Then they have the nerve to call these peaceful protests. Seriously? I wonder how far I'd get if I decided to go out tomorrow and riot because people were denying me jobs because I'm blind. I'm a white male, so I'd wager I wouldn't get far before being arrested. Yet it's okay for BLM to attack people with sticks, light things on fire, etc. Why is that even an appropriate name? It should be All Lives Matter. I have no problem with anyone of any race, but when you resort to this kind of behavior, it's simply counterproductive. We shouldn't be hurting each other or otherwise discriminating. I've always said that if everyone was willing to stop and talk, we could solve so many problems. Sadly, this does not appear to be the case. The left claims to want diversity and tolerance, yet they're the most intolerant people out there. I know this from personal experience, as I've been discriminated against by black people when all I was trying to do was show them I could work on computers. I was never rude to anyone, always showed up on time, and never asked anyone to pay me. In short, I put my faith in the goodness of other humans to recognize I'm a person with hopes and dreams just like everyone else. I was going to ask them if they were willing to pay me at the end of my third month. If not, I plan to move on. However, this never happened. Despite me putting my best foot forward, I was never offered a permanent job and was told through indirect means that I had to leave after being there for nearly three months. No one would come to me directly with their concerns. The left pushes diversity, but apparently blind people aren't included. Could you imagine the backlash if a similar situation happened to a sighted black person? There would have been riots and a Goodwill computer store where I was volunteering at could have been destroyed because of discrimination. I did not destroy the store, or hurt anyone. 
I simply moved on with my life. This is why I don't take this diversity movement very seriously. If you're serious about diversity, everyone should stop fighting and everyone, regardless of disability, race, gender, etc. should be able to come together and work issues out. I've listened to Trump on many occasions and have no idea where the claims of lying, racism, and hatred come from. If anything, it sounds like the left projecting the things they do all the time onto someone who doesn't do any of these things. He loves the United States and wants to improve it for everyone. He recovered from COVID and will give the cure to everyone for free. How is that a bad thing? I've heard people call him a dictator and it makes me want to simultaneously laugh and cry. He held so many rallies in the past few weeks that I've lost count. I didn't listen to all of them, but at every single one, there were thousands and thousands of people that kept saying things like we love you. Meanwhile, Biden was hiding from the public to avoid answering questions about him and his son. Trump has so much energy in comparison and genuinely wants to be president to improve the country. I've never heard him talk down to people either. Listening to him fills me with so much joy and hope for the future. I could go on and talk about many other things such as the election fraud that's going on right now, but you get the idea and I don't want this to get too long. I feel sorry for the people that only pay attention to the mainstream media that spews nothing but lies and hate, hate, hate. This is why I don't like talking politics with so many people. They're so sure they're right, and won't change no matter what you say or do. In the current situation with Trump, they're stuck in orange man bad mode. Regards, Christopher. Thank you for sending that in, Christopher, and I did ask for that perspective, so I'm glad that you felt able to provide it. And I won't unpack it all, but I would like to comment on a couple of things. First, of course, it wasn't just that they tried to impeach President Trump. He was impeached. The Senate didn't convict him. But President Trump remains the third president only to have been impeached. So that will never change. That has happened. Your email speaks to me of a lot of distrust of institutions. And I think that that reflects how many people who support President Trump feel. So obviously, when you hear respected institutions that have kept America safe for a long time say that Russia has interfered inappropriately uh, with elections, you don't believe those experts. You talk of evidence without actually citing any that says that that is absolutely not true and that all the mainstream media is somehow wrong. And I wonder what the incentive is for all the mainstream media to have this vast conspiracy that somehow uh, shields people from the truth, while people on the fringes are somehow the only people who are right. It's an interesting way to think, but it is a common way to think at the moment. I want to talk about the comments you made regarding being discriminated against. And if you've faced ableism, if you've faced discrimination, then that is absolutely not fair, you know, and it's hard to walk away from that and move on. And obviously you've attempted to do that. But I can't imagine what it must be like to be attacked, to be shot at, to have one of your family members killed merely by virtue of the color of your skin. And in the United States, there are so many examples of this that there has to be some institutional correction, doesn't there? Societies should be capable of fixing multiple things. So if we're correcting ableism and trying to address that, it's also important and possible to correct racism at the same time. Of course, all lives matter, but I think the reason why black lives matter is important and why I say it and many people say it 
is because so often it is not acknowledged specifically that black lives do matter. You have people who have been targeted specifically because of their race. It's horrific and it's got to be corrected through education programs, through talking to one another, and hopefully that dialogue can continue. But no, rioting isn't the answer, just as what happened in Charlottesville is not the answer either. My final comment on the email is to say that I would be really careful as a student of history. I would urge anybody to be very careful about measuring the success of a politician based on the fervor that they can whip up at a rally and how many people attend those rallies. First, obviously, it's easy to attribute motive. If you've decided that an individual is evil, it is easy to attribute motive. That's a really common human failing, and I'm not saying I'm immune from it by any means. But one of the reasons why the Biden campaign chose to have much smaller and infrequent rallies is because of COVID-19. And there are now routinely over 100,000 cases every day in the United States. It's turning into even more of a crisis than it was before, just as Anthony Fauci said it would. And there have been people packed in to these Trump rallies, which science and I know science isn't popular in some quarters these days, has proven have been super spreader events. You can, without question, actually attribute sickness and death in the United States specifically to those Trump rallies. That is appalling. And as I say, some of the most dangerous people in history have been able to whip up a crowd into a frenzy. Anyway, a lot of stuff there that people may wish to respond to. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. Tracy Duffy writes, I tend to be what I might term a conservative Democrat. I often take a conservative view of things, but not as conservative as many Republicans. I also try to be fair to people of all races, ethnicities and disabilities. Having said that, what I don't understand about Trump supporters is why. If a five-year-old behaved the way he does, he'd be disciplined and told to behave in a different manner. Yet people just look the other way and seem to approve of his antics. Perhaps because of his behavior, people feel as though they can do and say what they like now. I personally prefer some sense of decorum and respect for others. Rebecca Skipper writes in and says, I wish I was living in New Zealand right now. Would you mind sharing your perspective on parliamentary democracy? <laughs> well, it is quite different, Rebecca. First, we switched to a proportional representation system in 1996. That was when our election was first held. And by the way, we did that precisely for the reasons that I was just talking about with respect to the Electoral College. What we found was with our parliamentary democracy, where we had a series of electorates, much like congressional districts, what you got was a few electorates that were quite close, sort of battleground electorates, if you will, in American terminology. So politicians tended to concentrate on those electorates. So we moved to a system where the proportionality of parliament is determined by a national party vote. So it doesn't matter whether you live in an area where it's very strongly pulled in one direction, your vote has equal national validity. And I think that is a very fair system. The other thing I would say about our system 
is that it's deliberately designed to promote consensus. We wanted to move away from a two-party system where one party had absolute power for a long time and then another party did the same thing and made all sorts of extreme changes. The thing about New Zealand that's different too is that we don't have bicameral legislature. In other words, we don't have an upper house. Uh, so we, we have fewer checks and balances, I guess it's fair to say, in the system. But that also means that we don't have as much gridlock. The other thing I'd say is that because we have so many parties contesting the election, this is the first time under our new system that any single party has received a majority. And what that means is that sometimes after the election, it can take some time for parties to sit down and talk to each other and discuss how much common ground they have before it's determined who's forming a government and who the prime minister is. Because you have to keep having discussions and coming up with a consensus that enjoys the majority support in the parliament. So it is a very different system. It's a very different system. And I'm not saying it's perfect because I do have some concerns about our current system, but that's what we have. Rebecca continues, I voted independently using the electronic machine that had a telephone style keypad and the braille letter S on the select button. The early voting site was busy and hearing the instructions and ballot options was a challenge because of the noise level, so I had to turn the volume up to maximum. The staff at this voting location is always nice, but there are so many steps they have to go through to make the process run smoothly. I think we need to take a moment and thank all election workers. They have had a really tough job. Both parties have been fighting over the same issues since I've been alive. I want to see a leader who can find common ground, and I am convinced that the younger generations will produce such a leader in time. I strongly dislike Trump's behavior and rhetoric, and there are people in his own party who have called him out on this. However, this doesn't mean that every Trump supporter agrees with his rhetoric and behavior. I am sure that you have a much better understanding of how culture plays a role in politics. On the blind side, I think you said that you customize your advocacy message based on your audience. I get the impression that if you are talking to conservatives, you focus on the economics of work. But if you were dealing with progressives, you focus on human rights. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Both parties think they know who their base is and try to appease these loyal followers. This is a bad form of leadership in my view. This is exactly the kind of situation Washington was against, as in President Washington, I'm sure. Our leaders should challenge and inspire us to be better. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, you are right about my advocacy strategies. I've been a government relations professional and also, of course, have stood for Parliament a couple of times here in New Zealand. If you're going to talk to people, it's always good to try and speak their language if you want to get the outcome that you seek. I suppose the alternative to your perspective on the base discussion, Rebecca, is that some might argue that politics has become a bit vanilla in the United States. Now, obviously, you can't make that claim in the Trump era, right? I, whatever you think of him, he gets up there and he says what he believes in. And I think in a way, that has been what has been so refreshing to so many people, that they feel like everything that politicians say is usually passed, carefully managed, and there's no filter with Trump. 
for better or worse, in my view, usually for worse. So there will be people who say, what would have happened if they'd put Bernie Sanders up against Trump? And you actually took on this phobia that some people have about the word socialism and started having really serious discussions about the fact that most Western countries, other than the United States, have a universal healthcare system. Most perceive healthcare as a human right. Why doesn't the United States? So that's the counter argument. And I guess we we won't know. Uh, And in the end, it seems to have worked out okay for the Democrats and Joe Biden, at least at the top of the ticket. You have to say, though, not quite as good a time as they were hoping for in Congress. This next email says, I'm not looking for hate mail, so please don't use my name. But I follow the election and politics as a whole. Regardless of my sitting on the blue side of the political fence, I find the man disgusting and deplorable at best. Irrelevant to what is being said, just hearing him speak makes me sick and angry. Not only is he outrageously stupid, but he speaks in circles, constantly repeating fragments of his sentences, then complimenting himself for irrelevant things he didn't do or didn't do right. He didn't even deserve the nomination four years ago, and the fact that he was elected shows how very stupid the people in our country are. I can't decide which is worse, voting for him or simply not voting at all. I won't blame the independents entirely, Being in the US, after all, they do have a right to a third side of thought. But the fact is that if those people hadn't voted green, it could have been possible that we wouldn't be paying the price that we are now. Then again, he also could have won by a larger number, but we will never know. Many people point out that the Electoral College is an antiquated system and say it should be removed. Others say that changing the rules now, over 200 years after the Constitution was written in 1787, negates the principles in which it was written, and they want it to stand. Some even say that the people wanting it removed is just sour grapes because the side they want at any particular election is not currently winning. What neither side points out is that the Electoral College and Constitution itself was written over 10 years after the Declaration of Independence in 1776, so keeping intense original is not necessarily valid. It was a conscious decision not to let everyone vote at the time. While black men were given the right to vote after the 15th Amendment in 1870, there were other stipulations like owning property or being able to read, which indirectly restricted them from voting for many years after they should have. Women were only granted the right to vote after the 19th Amendment a hundred years ago. And though they have held a few seats in the Senate and House, the fact is that it is still the good old boys club. Even after there is finally a woman in the VP seat and eventually the Oval Office, I don't think they will be taken seriously for no other reason than they are a woman. I feel having this electoral college is the same type of suppression and oppression. Thanks for the anonymous email. Yeah, the electoral college thing, see, the way I conceive it potentially working is that you could have a runoff system. So if you had a national ballot, people could feel free to vote for third parties. Third parties would find it much easier to make their case to a national electorate. And you could have a single transferable vote system. And so you would keep going, essentially, until one person ended up with 
50% plus of the vote, so 51% of the vote, much like the Georgia runoff system is working in the Senate, in fact. And once you went through that process of a consensus, hopefully that would really help to know that every American had the chance to choose their president, and it was a truly consistent national system where everybody's vote as Americans mattered equally. This message reads, so, so, so very excited with plenty of exclamation marks riddled through it. It's from Pam Quinn. She says, we're getting our country back. Hallelujah. Right now, even with COVID so out of control, and even though the fact that we're stuck with a monster for the next two months is terrifying to contemplate, overshadowing all of that is that we will now have decent, compassionate leadership back. If anyone is capable of reuniting this country, Joe Biden and his team can do it. So as of right this moment, we've got champagne and I'm feeling such joy. Thanks, Pam. I think there is a sense of relief that I'm detecting from many supporters. Just relief, joy, but relief is the overwhelming sentiment that I'm detecting as this day unfolds. Well, phew. Phew, this is all fairly heavy stuff. And as we get ready to wrap up this section of the show on the US presidential election, I have written down over the last few days a series of random observations that I hope might be a little lighthearted but helpful. First, CNN, if you're going to do a key race alert and play your very dramatic music, dramatic almost to the point of cheesiness, I have to say, actually have something new to say. Because doing this for over 72 hours and these key race alert things, when there's really nothing new to say, it's bad for your heart. That's what it is. It's bad for your whole metabolism and ecosystem. Second, why is it that American TV networks go for commercial breaks at exactly the same time? They're passing up an opportunity to keep a captive audience. For example, when I'm really into the coverage and I'm doing some surfing around and the commercial break comes on, what do I do? I go to another network. Now, every so often, that other network is running programming, but most of the time they are not. They're playing ads. But if they were running program that was captivating and enticing, they may keep me locked in because I could just forget to change the station until the next commercial break comes along. Third, I have been monitoring a lot of this election stuff via Sirius XM with which I have an account, and I'm very grateful for that because they have CNN and MSNBC and C-SPAN and a channel called POTUS and some other things, and they even have Fox News if I really want to listen to that. And in the process of this, I have discovered the catchiest, the most earwormy jingle, in my opinion, in the history of ads. Yes, I have to tell you, it's beautiful, it's amazing, and there's never been anything like it before. (laughs) It's catchy as all heck, I tell you, and if you're an American, you've probably heard this already. If you're not an American, be very afraid, because once you hear this, you never get it out of your head. All right, get ready to sing along with me now. 1877 Cars for Kids, K-A-R-S, Cars for Kids. One eight seven seven cards for kids. Donate your car today. Now the dad sings. One eight seven seven cards for kids. 
K-A-R-S, Cars for Kids, 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS, donate your car today. See, see, once heard, never forgotten. Somebody told me there's a parody out there that talks about donate your kids today, which I can appreciate sometimes might be quite attractive. All right, what number am I up to now? Four, four, I think it is four. You want a recount? You're not going to get a recount. I'm going to call it four. I do not want to hear any Americans complain to me or speak in bemused tone to me about the game of cricket ever again. I cannot tell you how many times people have said to me over the years, in all the times that I've been doing international broadcasting, which is about 22 years now, how can you watch this game of cricket, especially the long form, where you can play for five days and at the end of the five days you don't even have a result? Guys, that line of attack is officially over. <laughs> over. Five. Credit where it's due. The audio processing on Fox News is really good. Why don't the other cable networks have good audio processing like that? Six, if you are listening to the show, the chances are that you are probably a smartphone user, be it iOS or Android. Therefore, if you are watching CNN, remember, he is not Jake Tapper. He is Jake Double Tapper. As we do most week, let's talk things Apple. Matt Miller starts us off this week. He says, this is Matt Miller from Ohio. I currently have an iPhone 8 and have been waiting for the iPhone 12 lineup to make my decision on which model to upgrade to. I have been debating between the 12 mini and the SE 2020 and decided to go with the 12 mini. This led me into researching about 5G and the US carriers. I found that between the three major carriers, Verizon and AT&T only offer 5G in select plans. On AT&T, you have to sign up for one of their three new unlimited plans. After looking at my usage, it was 2 gigs last month, and the fact that AT&T currently only support low-band 5G, which is good for coverage, but only provides a small speed increase, I decided that upping my two-line service from $100 per month to $145 per month didn't make sense. I thought since I had not considered my current plan didn't support 5G, maybe others just assume they will be able to use 5G on their iPhone 12 when they may need to update their plan to be able to access the 5G network. I also weighed the utility of 5G against the fact that I'm at home on my Wi-Fi most of the time, and one of the primary uses of the higher throughput is watching HD videos. So, for now, I'll shut off the 5G access and settings until I have a desire to start using it. And of course, a few more people will be in 5G land very shortly if they ordered an iPhone 12 mini, which apparently is very tiny and cute, according to some of the articles I've read, and if you follow Mosin at large on Twitter, you will have seen me tweeting links to these articles. The Verge had a pretty good look at this. And of course, the iPhone 12 Pro Max, which is the largest iPhone ever. That's me channeling my inner Tim Cook there. It's slightly wider and slightly taller than the iPhone 11 Pro Max. From what I can gather, and I had a really good Twitter dialogue with someone who was kind enough to talk me through this, 
you probably would have to have the two phones side by side to notice the difference. So we're not talking a huge difference. But of course, with uh, screen optimization, there is a lot more real estate on the screen than with the 11 Pro Max. So let's talk the new phones. Have you ordered either the Mini or the Max? If you're getting the Mini, I'd be really interested. I'd be interested in trying a Mini for a year if it had the LiDAR. Just be aware that the Mini does not have LiDAR. That's really unfortunate for blind people who perhaps don't do Braille screen input, who appreciate the small form factor. But if you're a blind user, you probably want the LiDAR, don't you? It sounds like there are all sorts of exciting things happening with that. When the iPhone 12 range was announced and we got in here right after the keynote thing and we all sat down and I was adamant I was not going to order the iPhone 12 anything. And I'm sure there were some listeners who said, yeah, yeah, we've heard that before. We've heard it all before. We'll see what happens. And I was quite adamant about it until about a week and two days ago or so when I heard about how quickly Apple was moving on LiDAR, my thinking was sitting out the iPhone 12 range was a sensible thing to do. There are a lot of new chips in the iPhone 12 range, power management for the 5G, a lot has changed. And it seemed to me, if you were going to sit one out, then the 12 would be a good one to sit out if you have a fairly new iPhone. Let it all bed down and let the 12S or whatever they're going to call it be the one that you go for. But they moved so quickly with LiDAR, as we talked about in the podcast last week, with this new people detection feature. And if you have an iPhone 12 Pro now, and you have the people detection feature, I would be really interested in hearing how that is working and whether you think it's just a gimmick at the moment, or whether you've found that it has practical value. But I realized then that by the time iOS 14 starts to come out, who knows what they're going to be doing in this area. And without an iPhone 12, I wouldn't be able to use those features in iOS 14. And, you know, to be absolutely honest, and I'm not just saying this because of where I'm saying it, what was the real clincher for me was I actually like to help people. One thing I love about this podcast, which does take up a lot of the very limited spare time that I have as a result of my day job, I like feeling like I can make a bit of a difference on these things. And if I'm able to articulate or communicate a concept that helps people to use their technology a bit better, if that's a service that I can provide yeah, as a volunteer, then I'm glad of that. I like to do it. So I wanted to stick around on the cutting edge. So yes, I did in the end buy a 512 gigabyte iPhone 12 Pro Max. For those who care about colors, it's the Pacific blue one. But it was a nightmare. I buy the iPhone most years. I think the last one I didn't buy was an iPhone 5, which I set out for the same reasons that I outlined with the iPhone 12 range that I was considering. You know, new form factor, new technology, and it just didn't really have much to excite me. So I buy them most years, and I've got it down to a fine art. What you do is the day before, before the Apple Store shuts off and makes itself unavailable for that period, like it always does before a big new product launch, you go in, 
you find the phone you want, you choose whether you want Apple Care or that sort of stuff, and you add it to your favorites. Then you sit there closing the app and opening the app and closing the app. I started doing this at 1.59 a.m. because they've changed the times in recent times that the iPhones become available. It used to be midnight Pacific, didn't it? And now it is 5 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Eastern. Midnight Pacific was great for me because that made it, well, depending on the time of year, either 9 p.m. or 7 p.m. New Zealand's time. But now it's 2 a.m., 2 a.m. And that was to be my undoing, I tell you. So I set an alarm for 1.50, but I was awake anyway, glued, riveted to the election coverage. So I was awake. And at about 1.59, I started my trick. Go to the Apple Store app. We'll be back soon. Close it, open it, close it. It's like a kind of wish I could do a macro. Maybe there's a shortcut that would let me do it. Anyway, I eventually got in at about three, four minutes past the hour. I think they finally opened up, zoomed on over to my favorites, got the phone, added it to the bag, pay with Apple Pay, it said. Okay, so I double tapped the thing and it went, your credit card has been declined. And I thought that's a bit extraordinary because I actually transferred the money over to the card knowing that I was going to buy this thing. So... I thought, all right, well, maybe it's an Apple Pay problem. So I went back in and went to the checkout process and filled in the details and everything. And then I hit submit. And after a while, it said, your order has been interrupted. You haven't been charged. Please try the order again and you'll be notified when it's been successful. So I tried this repeatedly for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or more. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, is the time slipping? I want this on release date. If I'm going to get one, I want it on release date. Because, of course, that would mean I have it for the next show, wouldn't it? And finally, it started saying, your credit card has been declined. And I thought, that's extraordinary. I thought, I wonder if they've accidentally charged it. So I went into my bank, which updates my credit card balance in real time. And no, it was in credit for the amount of the iPhone because I transferred the money. So that wasn't a problem. And I went down to the studio in the end and got on the fast computer down here and went to the Apple Store website, which I haven't used for a long time because the Apple Store app on the phone is so good. And I logged in, checked out, had to go and add the thing to my bag again, all this kind of malarkey, constantly thinking about, am I missing out on the 13th delivery date? And tried to pay again with my credit card, which was in very good health, and it was declined. Gosh darn it and golly gee, I said to myself. So there's a thing in the Apple Store app where you can call Apple. So I double tapped that call Apple thing and it's talked me through the menus. Welcome to Apple. If you're thinking about buying one of our products, press one. I pushed the number one and then I had to push two for iPhone. And only then, after I navigated their menu system, did it say, oh, you've called us outside of ours? And I'm thinking, why the soup couldn't they have said that before they had me navigate through all these menus? So then I thought, I'll call my bank. They're open 24-7. So I called my bank to see if they could shed any light on it. And they no longer open 24-7. I have no idea why this is. Now they're only open from 8 till 8 weekdays and 8.30 till 5 in the weekends. So I couldn't talk to anyone at the bank. By this stage, ping, 
we had got to 3 a.m., an hour after I had tried to purchase the iPhone, something that normally takes me all of about 45 to 60 seconds because I've got this down to such a fine art. And I'm getting desperate. I'm thinking we are going to get slippage on the delivery date any time. So in desperation, I said to Bonnie, Bonnie, sweetie, love of my life, can I please use your credit card? Because for whatever reason, it's not accepting mine. Very graciously and without a moment's question or hesitation, she said, yes, I love Bonnie. And I put that through and it worked. And I still have a 13th of November delivery date, but I suspect by the skin of my teeth. So when the bank finally opened at eight, after no more sleep because of the election, I called them and they said, This was part of one of their new fancy-schmancy fraud detection algorithms. Because I was trying to make such a voluminous purchase at two in the morning, they were concerned that it might be a fraudulent transaction. And I said to the very nice woman who I was talking to, I said, but mate, mate, I first tried to pay with Apple Pay. Do you realize that Apple Pay requires biometric authentication? I mean, even if someone had my card and CVV number, they don't have my fingerprint or my face. Why would you stop me from buying something with Apple Pay? I mean, it's coming from within New Zealand, and they must know that. Maybe they can even tell what IP address it's coming from. I have no idea, but it's my usual IP address. And they said, oh, these things do happen sometimes, but for security reasons, we can't comment further. And I thought, no, well... Whatever. But I've had a little discussion with them about uh, what we might do about this in the future and whether I should perhaps get a credit card with a different bank or a different brand of credit card or something. But if Apple had just kept the payment time to the original, I would not have been stressing out over getting the thing. And there was a little part of me, actually, that said, well, maybe this is just not meant to be. Maybe I'm not meant to have this 12 Pro Max But once the decision was made, I was determined to execute on the decision. So maybe next week I'll be able to give you a bit of a demo of this people detection feature. If you ordered one, I hope your experience was a lot smoother than mine was. Now, we do have another Apple event coming up. Yes, another one. This is called One More Thing, of course, in reference to the old phrase that Steve Jobs used to use. And this is going to be all about Apple Silicon Macs. And what we suspect is that there's going to be at least a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro in Apple Silicon. If you haven't been following this closely, this is Apple's own chips moving away from Intel and putting a chip that's pretty much the same chip as the one that's in the iPhone and the iPad. It would also mean that you're going to be able to run iOS apps on the Mac. That is leading some people to speculate about whether we are going to see touchscreen Macs announced. Now, that's something that people like Craig Federici in the past have said Apple is not interested in doing. So I'll be interested to hear if we get any more info on what it's going to be like and how it will work to run iPhone apps on the Mac. But of course, there has been a bit of that happening already with the Catalyst project, which we have talked about on this show before. So I'm interested in this. I don't know whether I'm interested to the point that I want to play with the Mac. I'm just not going to even make any comment about that idea. But I will be interested to hear what they come out with. We are not going to do a special event for this one. But of course, we will recap next week. 
and we'll have some comments on Twitter. But you will be able to watch the keynote in the normal ways. And uh, I, for one, really enjoy these audio-described canned keynotes. I think they're slick and very informative. Is there anything else? Well, who knows? Perhaps the one more thing makes it clear there is only one more thing. But if not, maybe we'll get to hear a little bit more about these elusive air tags that there's been so much fuss about for so long. In regards to the um, better labor mat, um, I do use better keys on my XR. Now, um, the reason I I mainly got it was because it had a whole bunch of extra antennas. Um, so if I found um, with a weak cellular signal, the more antennas you have, the less time your phone has to see King, are you connected? Are you connected? Are you connected? Uh, so it, it's I'm grabbing a very a weak, good weak signal and keeping it, and so that is really um has really brought my battery uh to life. So just just a thought um but the iPhone SE, um, try and get a battery case for it with a, a bunch of antennas uh, to build, bring in the solar signal. Um, because that will, the solar signal, if it's weak, will impact the battery because the phone is always trying to connect to the cellular signal. Hello, Jonathan. This is Oase from Canada joining your show. Today, I would like to speak about three things in your show. Firstly, how important is it to know how to use traveling apps for people who are blind? If it is crucial, what are some apps that work well with voiceover to help blind people travel independently for iOS users? I'll stop and go through these as they come up, I think. I wouldn't say it's crucial to use GPS apps or traveling apps, but they could certainly augment your blindness skills. They certainly shouldn't be a substitute for good blindness skills, but they can give you all sorts of information, such as businesses that you're passing that you may not know about. They can get you out of a bind, so they are very, very useful. In terms of which ones, well, there are a lot of them, aren't there? Turn by turn is built into Apple Maps and Google Maps with walking directions. There are tools like Blind Square that will tell you what you're passing, nearby Explorer, a lot of them. And perhaps people may want to contribute and say which blindness-specific GPS app they like and why. And also whether if you've tried both Google Maps and Apple Maps, which one you have settled on and why. Secondly, on Oasis List, he says, have you tried the mBraille app on iOS that allows its users to attempt Braille screen input more efficiently than Apple's integrated Braille screen input? I have, but not for a long time. So I won't comment on it because I think my knowledge of it is just really out of date. If there are Braille users out there who choose to use mBraille over Braille screen input, I know it does all sorts of things like you can send information to specific apps and all kinds of things. What do you like about it? How well is the dedicated mBraille keyboard that's been available for some time working now? So if you've tried mBraille, 
and you consider yourself a proficient Braille screen input user, did you stick with M Braille? And if so, what advantage do you believe it offers? That'd be a great talking point. And lastly, he says, does it help to have a bigger screen for blind people on an iPhone? Well, I use a lot of Braille screen input, and I definitely find it more comfortable to Braille for long periods on the Mac-sized phones. I also like the battery life of the Mac-sized phones. So it's not so much for the screen, it's for the battery life and the extra real estate for Brailling. But of course, blind people come with different preferences and in different shapes and sizes. So what works for me may not work for others. So anyone who wants to chime in on those three things, you're very welcome. Hey, Jonathan, this is in response to one of your listeners who inquired about the battery life of iPhone SE 2020. Uh, I got this phone, iPhone SE 2020, uh, 256 gigabyte variant in August of 2020. It has been two months since I'm using it. This phone's battery life, it's not its USB. However, it's a great phone. I love the phone and I'm happy I chose this over the 11 Pro. Not in terms of the configuration, in terms of, you know, uh, the convenience of having the touch ID, especially during the current pandemic where we all of us are wearing masks and, uh, you know, the size. For me, the form factor was the, the deciding factor. And this is not a phone which may last for five years. Of course, uh, I mean, I, I won't say it won't last, but it's not a phone which you may want to keep for five years but maybe you know in a year or two uh, you might have the on display touch id so maybe it's good enough for two to three years it's a very very good choice i'm aware of at least 20 20 uh, people in the last 10 days who purchased uh, iphone se 2020 and uh, you know it's a very good uh, device for the battery life it is a challenge so some people may use power banks some may use battery cases what i've heard is that if you attach a Apple battery case to the iPhone AC 2020, the weight becomes 250 grams, which is uh, 10 or 20 grams more than the 11 Pro Max, and the combined battery life is better than the 11 Pro Max. So you know that is a very good option. Though in my country, the iPhone AC 2020 battery case is not available made by Apple because they sell the iPhone 7 battery case in US, uh, and that is not available in India as the 7 iPhone 7 is discontinued. And two things which have helped me with my battery. So in the morning when I used to unplug my phone at 9, by 6 uh, by six to 7, it would be 20%. Now last two to three weeks, I have done two things. And I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying it has worked for me. One, I have turned off Wi-Fi assist in my iPhone settings in my mobile data. And uh, two, strangely enough, I have stopped using Wi-Fi for most of my usage. I am using it on mobile data. And I have no idea why. But these two things have slightly improved my battery uh, experience so now in the evening by six or seven it is around 28 uh, 27 28 to 30 percent with the similar usage the next email says this is paul hopewell from the uk i would like to comment on the iphone se battery life which others think is terrible i have had an iphone se 2020 for about two months and find its battery life fine for my usage pattern and much the same as my prior iPhone 8. I run with screen curtain set on, display brightness set to 0%, and background app refresh turned off. I use the app switcher to close each app after I've finished using it, though I might change that after listening to the latest Mosin at Large podcast. I start each day with a 100% battery and go to App Store and do all available updates. 
In a typical day, I use nearby Explorer Online GPS for about two hours while walking. I stream radio programs mostly over Wi-Fi for about two hours and listen to audio books or podcasts for another two hours. I seldom make or receive phone calls, seldom watch any video, and never use Facebook or Twitter. I receive around 20 emails per day and immediately delete about half of these without reading them. At the end of the day, my battery is around 40%, and so I recharge it overnight. I would appreciate comments on using the app switcher to close apps which I am no longer using. I certainly need to close nearby Explorer Online when back home, as otherwise it would keep doing needless GPS and using lots of battery. I think that doing a daily app update and then closing the app store uses less battery than using background app refresh, which presumably keeps checking for updates. I suspect that opening the mail app every two hours or so and then closing it uses less battery than leaving mail running all the time, again, as it avoids more frequent checking with the mail server. I wonder whether it is better to close apps like Pedometer, which keeps data on my steps and mileage to stop it making incremental data updates when not doing serious walking. Similarly, it may be better to close Overcast when I'm not listening to a podcast to reduce needless checking for new podcasts. On the other hand, it is probably better to leave apps like Audible running as they will be doing nothing when I am not reading an audiobook. What do you think? Well, uh, I think that it is the background app refresh disabling that is saving you that battery life. And it could be saving you quite a bit of mobile data when you're out and about, which could be a factor if you're on a limited mobile data plan. I'm very lucky with the 11 Pro Max that I'm currently using and that the battery life is so good that I haven't really had to go scrimping around for extra bits of battery life. I don't have background app refresh turned off on any of the apps and I use it pretty extensively and still have a lot of juice left at the end of the day. But if you are looking to conserve some battery life, you can go in as Paul has done and disable background app refresh entirely or you can bring up a list of apps that are using background app refresh and disable those that you don't want to be doing things in the background. If, for example, you don't want Facebook, which is an extensive and, I have to say, egregious user of background app refresh, certainly in the past anyway, to be running in the background and doing things, then you can just disable that individually. So you may well want to go in, have a look at that list and say, What apps do I really need to have doing things in the background? Paul, regarding your comments about whether it's necessary to close certain apps, if you have background app refresh disabled for all apps, then my understanding of the purpose of that setting is that when the app is not running in the foreground, it's effectively paused. So I would think it's not necessary to close anything because when you get out of, say, nearby Explorer Online, the app is paused, and so it wouldn't be using GPS or anything at all. Happy to stand corrected, of course, but that's my understanding of what you do when you disable background app refresh. You effectively put it into suspended animation when you aren't in the actual app. I have my mail client checking, I think it's six 
email accounts, and I would be lost without that, I'm afraid, because I really like my push notifications with my Microsoft Exchange server. Obviously, it pushes the moment an email arrives. With IMAP accounts, it does not with the service that I use, and so I have it checking mail the minimum, which is every 15 minutes. If I could have it checking mail more frequently, I would. But if you have the discipline to do what you're doing and go in every two hours and just see if there's any new mail for you, then yes, that would definitely use less battery than having the thing running in the background and having a process polling to see if there's anything new. But wait, as all the good infomercials say, there's more. Hi, Jonathan. This is Claire Page from Northern France, a lurking listener to the Mosin at Large podcast for quite a while. This is the first time I've ever sent you a message after listening to it. Well, thank you, Claire. Nice to have you back. I have owned an iPhone SE 2020 since April of this year. And you and your listeners have confirmed what I've read in various places recently about the battery life not being very good. I can also confirm this fact. However, I do not regret buying this model, whose battery life is heaps better than that of the aging iPhone 6 it replaced. I still feel it's a good successor to that iPhone 6, since the size is similar and it still has a home button and touch ID, but with features from newer versions of iOS, which my 6 would never get. For example, iOS 13 brought me the ability to set up activities in VoiceOver and to have speech coming from my iPhone when I listen to anything through my Bluetooth speaker. And iOS 14 brought image descriptions and screen recognition, which have already proved useful to me. I am not an extremely heavy user of my iPhone when I'm out, and the fact that I spend quite a lot of time at home, even when we're not in lockdown, means that I can charge it anytime. I have tended to charge all my iPhones once a day anyway, to avoid landing up with no juice at all. Even though I prefer to keep my iPhone in a case, this I know you don't like, I have never used a battery case and don't intend to get one. It occurred to me that turning the iPhone SE off at night, if that can be done, might count as a battery-saving tip. But then I remembered that restarting any iPhone uses up more juice and iPhones are made to be left running as much as possible anyway. Not to mention that it's useful for me to have my iPhone on at night so that... If insomnia comes calling, I can read a bit or play some simple time-wasting game until I feel sleepy again. I like my SE 2020 too much to advise people against buying it. That's a matter of personal choice, of course. But your advice about future-proofing still makes sense. An alternative for small phone fans could be the iPhone 12 mini and, as pointed out, the iPhone 12 Pro and iPhone 12 Pro Max are good choices for anyone who wants to try out the new people detection feature, which LiDAR will enable. This new feature is an excellent idea, as long as the blind people using it don't feel awkward about pointing their cameras at passers-by. I admit that I'm not as future-proofed as I could be, but I have the thought that when I change iPhone again probably in 2023, people detection will be a mature and long-standing feature 
And maybe iPhones will even have underscreen Touch ID by then. We can only speculate about what brilliant features Apple will come up with over the next few years, but for all their faults, it seems to me that they are unlikely to give up on accessibility. Thanks for such an interesting podcast covering so many subjects, and I look forward to listening to lots more episodes in the future. Thank you, Claire. Good to get your first-hand experience of the iPhone SE 2020. And you're right, the people detection thing will mature, and I think we'll see some very interesting initiatives in the LiDAR area with third-party blindness apps as well. And there are persistent rumors that Apple are working on an Apple Glass product. And I think this comes back to the point that you were making about feeling a bit awkward holding the phone out in front of you. And I get why people might feel awkward about doing that. But if you're wearing the Apple glasses and you've got LiDAR there and people detection, oh my word, that, as the Americans like to say, is a whole nother ball game. Does Rebecca Skipper mince her words? No, she does not. She says the battery life on my iPhone SE is awful. I can't get past 12 hours, even if the phone is just on my desk, unlocked. However, USB-C charging is great, so I can deal with the battery issue. I have thought about buying the mini HomePod for its ability to pair up with the phone by proximity. However, I would like to know if it sounds as good as the fourth generation dot. Rebecca, I've not heard it, but I would guess pretty confidently it will sound better than that. Hopefully you can get to a store to verify that if anyone has compared the two, the fourth generation dot and the iPod mini, let us know. I suspect it'll be not even a close contest in terms of the HomePod mini winning. More on the iPhone SE battery life from Michael Pantelidis. I bought the iPhone SE 2020 in August and the battery life is rubbish. I am really thinking about the 12 Pro. Also, can you tell me the model of the Bose speaker you bought? I'm also in the hunt for one. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it's just called the Bose Portable Smart Speaker. That's what it's called. You can pick it up from most stores. It's a cute little rotund round thing. <laughs> but like I used to be. Hi, Mosinet Larges. It's Robin here from the UK. I saw that Jonathan tweeted a really interesting article about how the LiDAR in the iPhones 12 can be used with the camera app to detect people, how close they are, and give you beeps or faster vibrations as they get closer. And you can tell, for example, with a different kind of beep, whether someone is within six feet. Now, I haven't got an iPhone 12 or even 11 or even 10. I've got an iPhone 8. But I just wanted to show you a really good feature that is new in iOS 14. And I'll just open up the camera app. Camera. Viewfinder. Focus unlocked. Flash on. Image. Zero now, people. Oh, tilt right. Oh, level. Okay, it's level now. Window. All I'm doing here... Table. With processed. All I'm doing here is just moving the camera around. The back-facing camera is active. Um, it told me to straighten up the camera. So it gives you announcements about how many faces it can see. But now, since iOS 14 what objects it can see real time. That's the key thing here. So if I keep moving it around. Computer keyboard, Com tilt right, oh. level. Okay, so I'm in the office here. There's lots of office-y type. Document, microphone, <laughs> tilt type right, oh. level. 
Moving it around. Computer mouse. Lead. <laughs> Frame. Painting. There is a picture on the wall. Door. Tilt right. Oh, so hard to keep it level. Televi level. Television. So there you go. It's recognising lots of objects around. If I tilt the back of the camera to face me. One face near top right edge. Ooh. Robin near top edge. That's Tilt me. left. Robin near <laughs> top right edge. <laughs> so it can recognise people as well. So this is brilliant. I'm just moving it around. And just imagine if... Level. Ooh, this can now... Zero people. Computer monitor. Yep. Computer keyboard. Speakers music. Speakers music. I don't know why it said that. There are speakers, but I don't know what the music bit is. So now this is all built into iOS 14's camera app. Just make sure that the focus is on the viewfinder and this is what you will hear. Hey, Jonathan, Mickey Quinzer here. Just wanted to say hi and wanted to say how much I appreciate your show and um, wanted to let you know that I'm still having trouble with iOS 14. Um, I have not yet been able to install it without having to use my computer to do it. So something strange about this release that's different than last releases for whatever reason. If you do have to reinstall that way like I do, remember to turn off your firewall because if you don't, then you run into trouble most of the time. Anyway, thought I'd give that little bit of a suggestion just in case people are having that kind of trouble. Isn't it strange how software and hardware can get like this when you just have a frustration that you're experiencing and few other people are? I wonder if you've tried resetting your phone, but I guess if you've got iOS installed now, then presumably you'll be okay. If it is happening for all subsequent versions, for example, if you have iOS 14 installed and you're seeing this problem every time there's an iOS 14 update, then I would consider resetting your phone and setting up as new and seeing if that fixes it. Hi, Jonathan, and everybody. I hope you are keeping well. It's Derry Lotta here from Ireland. It's late and it's always even. Well, I say late, it's probably um, just 10 o'clock in the evening, um, end of the working day. Well, last week, I week before last, I suppose, when I, after the Apple event, I took the plunge and I pre ordered an iPhone 12 Pro, which I got last Saturday. Previous to that, I had an iPhone 11 Pro Max, which I love. Uh, I loved, and still do love as well, but I'm going to send it on to somebody who, who needs it just as much. But I do like the uh, the MagSafe charging, the little disc that clips to the back of the iPhone. I went for a case as well, the uh, silicon see-through case, so people could see the, the gold back of the iPhone 12 Pro. Didn't go for the 12 Pro Max this year because uh, I felt I didn't need the, the you know, it's 128 gigs. I felt I didn't need the, the extra size screen real estate, but uh, hopefully I won't regret that. LiDAR camera, it would be interesting to see how, how blind people can use that. Um, have my braille display uh, hooked up to it. Still use your way of doing, sending over all the stuff listen, read, after reading your last iOS without the iBook. Still go back on those, actually, Jonathan. So uh, they're great books. And all your fantastic uh, um, savvy, uh, savvy songs, what's the Google and the, the, all the different podcast uh, books you've written so uh, fantastic my question is now using third party apps at the moment I have Edge 
as my browser of choice. And when I restart the phone, it goes back to Safari, which is kind of unusual. Maybe that's a bug. And I'd like to use uh, Outlook as my uh, default email app. But I have three email accounts, and I can't seem to go from um, email address to email address. It seems to be two outbox or two inboxes here your focused inbox and other inbox and kind of getting a bit confused now. I seem to have lost mails. So I'm just wondering, how would you manage that, Jonathan, the, the Outlook in the iPhone uh, 12 Pro? Well, good on you for getting the 12 Pro, Derry. I hope you get, I was going to say, many happy years out of it. But since you're just upgrading from an iPhone 11 Pro Max, I suspect you're not the kind of person who gets many years out of any iPhone. But like me, I don't have an answer to your question about Outlook. Because I did have a look at this a few years ago, and there was a lot to like. Particularly, I liked the fact that you had your business calendar and your email all in the one app, very much like the Outlook experience that we're used to on the PC. And I spend a lot of my workday in Outlook and, of course, Microsoft Teams these days. But the showstopper for me was a focus issue, which is that when you open an email message, Focus isn't given to the body of the email. And it's those little efficiency things that, for me, make a big difference to your productivity. So what I'm getting at is when you open an email in Outlook, you have to navigate through the header before you get to the body of the email to find out what somebody's saying to you. When I started my current job back in June of last year, we're a Microsoft shop. You know, we use 365 and Teams and all that sort of thing. So I did download the iOS product to have another look. And at that time, that was still the case. So I'm no expert in Microsoft Outlook. I find that Apple Mail does a great job and it meets my needs. If you are using Outlook for iOS and you can help Derry out with that navigation question, or you'd just like to talk in general about what you like about it over Apple Mail and any tips for using it, then please do get in touch. Share your wisdom with us. We will all be most grateful. Hello, everybody. I wanted to demonstrate the Google Lookout app for Android. Having played with this and both the Microsoft Seeing AI, I really think that this one is just as good as Seeing AI. And um, it does a few things that the other app does not do. So I've got my um, phone here, and I'm using Eloquence because I can, and I'm going to, okay, so I'm in the Lookout app, and it's got... 9.29 a few different options. So if I... So that's the start button is the button that will turn on each of these modes. You don't have to turn it off. I did so that it wouldn't be too vocal. And then recents are is like a history of all the things that I've scanned. Explore, I will get to all of these in a minute, but I'll just show you the options. Food label, quick read, 
Scan document, U.S. currency, and that's it. So I'm going to go to Explore. And I'm going to start it. And then we're going to kind of just look around the room. But I'm going to turn up the volume a bit here. Okay, there we go. So what it's trying to read across the room for me and off to my right on our wall is a t-shirt and it says I put ketchup on my ketchup. So it's actually trying to read that. So it, uh, and if I, so now it's seeing me because I turned the camera toward me. So it, it basically tells you what's around you. And I'll stop that. So yeah, it, uh, will tell me what's around as I move the camera. And now we'll go to the food label, which I think is pretty cool for the most part. Now, it does have some issues. As you can tell, it's saying beta. I, I did check before doing this that I was running the latest version. But it doesn't require the barcode like a lot of food label, food app recognition things do. So I'm going to start it. And I've got a couple of products here. No product in view. It's saying no product in view because there isn't. No product in view. So I'm going to put this product under the camera. No product in view. Miracle Noodle Organic Rice. And it tells me Miracle Noodle Organic Rice. Um, no product in view. As keto, we can't eat regular rice. No so I found Miracle Noodle and it's wonderful. No product in view. And then we'll do... No product in view. Okay, so I'm going to rotate this package. Okay, I don't know where it's getting that because this is so not... Well, it was reading this earlier. This is supposed to be um, Coke Zero. It's probably picking something else up. I'm not quite sure what that's about, but um, I'm going to stop it, and we'll go on to Quick Read. Now, this is like um, you put something under it, and it will read. So I'll use the uh, 
Miracle Noodle package here as the example. So we'll hit start. Scan document. Selected. Reasons. Start button. Plants. And it's probably trying to read French. Yeah, I think it's definitely reading French. Oh, I actually had some useful information for a minute. So yeah, it's trying to read... Um, French and English together. And now I'm trying to get it to read that shirt again. So you can see it's trying to read that from across the room. Oh, yep, see. Now the similar thing. Stop button. Sign in a Caroline Tames message record. Stop button. Sign start recent explore food label. Selected quick read. Scan document. Is currency US dollars. Vote. Scan document. Scan document. Look out scan document mode. So I'm going to take this box that I have here. Currency, US dollar. Select, quick read, food label, explore, data, reasons, button, start, button, sign data, start, button. Move device towards top right. Move device towards bottom right. Move device right. Hold still. Recent item details. Close details, button. Double tap to activate. Share, button. Delete item, button. Weekend weekly medication pack tapes. We are for the medicaments of Domodare 10 for 2020 helping you manage your medication error those medicaments and out simplicity children. Don't reach out entrance. Keep the port a lot or or appeal enter control print screen enter deal it. Double weekend weekly medication pack tapes. We are for the pop up view icon container. So again, it seems like it's trying to read both French and English, but that shows you so you it tells you how to move the phone, where to move it to get the best results. And now I'm going to delete that. And I'm going to try again here with this miracle noodle. Oh! Recent item details. Close details. Button. Share. Button. Delete item. Button. Organic Elegit Miraculo Miracle Olin Based Rice Land Based Rice Rice Based Plant USDA USDA Organic Rice A Based Plant Certificate Certified Gluten Free Sand Gluten Keto Grain Free Slash Soy Free Sand Grain Sand Soya. Double tap to activate. Organic Elegit Miraculo Miracle Olin Based Rice Land Based Rice Rice Based Plant USDA USDA Organic Rice A Based Plant Certificate Certified Gluten Free Sand. So I'm going to delete the item. And I'm going to say stop. Now I cannot do currency because that is only US dollars at this point. But um, we'll go into recent. 
Close recents. Button. Recents. Delete all recent items. Button. Recent items are deleted every time you close workout. Quick read. 9.36 a.m. W. D- quick read. 9.36 a.m. 6 a.m. Ketchup on my ketchup. Quick read. 9.36 a.m. Ketchup. Quick read. 9.36 a.m. Ketchup my ketchup. Quick read. 9.36 a.m. Ketchup my ketchup. Quick read. 9.36 a.m. Ketchup. So it's it's reading, showing some of the stuff that it's read in the recents. And then if I leave the app. And go back in. You'll see it remembers where I was last. Quick read, mode, selected, stamp document, mode. Quick read, mode, food label, data, explore. And if I go into recents. Recents, close recents, button, recents. Delete all recent items, button. Recent items are deleted every time you close workout. Quick read, 9.36 a.m., W. Okay, I didn't actually close it, I just exited out, so that's why it remembered. But so you can review these things and... Um, go back through information and all kinds of things. So that's kind of lookout, not maybe the best demonstration because I, I, uh, you know, didn't make sure that it was perfectly readable, but I wanted to give real life situations. And, um, if I've made it so that it all worked, then it wouldn't be as accurate. So, um, hope you enjoyed that. And that is the Lookout app. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, Jonathan. My name is Abby Taylor, and I'm in Sheridan, Wyoming. You may remember me from the 1990s when you were the head of ACB Radio, and you were hosting the ACB Radio Cafe, where blind and visually impaired musicians could submit recordings of them playing and or singing songs either they had written or songs by other people and I sent you a couple of songs which you played and you actually helped me figure out the best way to record and send you these songs and at that time I was using a Macintosh computer and it was quite an intricate process of recording the songs converting them to mp3 and then emailing them Now, of course, I do record music for my blog. Uh, Back then at the time, I was a registered music therapist working uh, with nursing home residents. But now, I'm an author. I have five published books and a sixth on the way. I've written several poems, and many poems and stories that have been published here and there. I have a website and a blog. So I record music for my blog using my iPhone. It's much simpler, I tell you, than back in the good old days. And, of course, I'm now using a PC with JAWS. And, you know, things have have gotten better as far as technology is concerned. I just want to comment on a couple of things. I recently started listening to your podcast. A friend of mine told me about it, and she told me that you were going to be doing an in-depth look at the Mantis Q40, which is what I am considering. Uh, would like to purchase. I have a Braille Note Touch Plus, but it's getting kind of buggy. And I really want to have a QWERTY keyboard. Um, and I like the idea that you can connect 
the mantis to a PC or whatever. And if you can't use the Braille display, you can at least have the keyboard. And frankly, the nice thing about a QWERTY keyboard is you don't have to worry about which type of Braille you want to use. Computer Braille, 6-dot Braille, 8-dot Braille, what have you. You just type away on that keyboard. And frankly, I find typing on a QWERTY keyboard more efficient than using a Braille keyboard, frankly. So I am really looking forward to hearing your in-depth review of the Mantis Q40. So I am definitely keeping my ears open. And I enjoyed your latest episode talking about guide robots and um, battery cases. I actually purchased, I have the SE2020. And yes, I did notice the battery life isn't maybe as good. And this is my first iPhone, so I really have nothing to compare it to. But it, it seemed like it wasn't that good to start with. But then I got this case, and I can't think of the brand name of it right now. But I got it from Barry Sure at Guide Lights and Gadgets here in the U.S. And I think you could just do an internet search and you should be able to find him. Um, he has a website, but he mostly does orders over the phone because he wants to talk to you to be sure that you're getting something that you're going to be able to use. You know, which a lot of companies don't do. You know, they'll just sell you something off the bat and, and uh, good luck. But he is very knowledgeable and he's very helpful you know, and he, he he sells battery cases. He sells all kinds of bags, pouches. I got a phone pouch uh, to put the phone in. He sells gadgets. He's I got a pair of Bluetooth earpieces. A, a blue, it's not a headset, just a kind. They're not really earbuds. They kind of rest in your ears and go over your ears. Gadgets like that. And he talks to you to make sure, you know, finds out what you're going to want to use them for so that you can be sure that you're getting, you know, something that you're going to use. And so he's very, and so the best way to, to order is on the phone. But if you do a search for him, you'll find his website and you can find it. It should have the phone number on it. But this case I got, uh, it's very durable. It's like a silicone material. And I feel very comfortable holding the phone in my hand and using it. And not, I don't have to worry about dropping it. And he assures me that if I were to drop it, even if I were to drop it on the face, you know, it would protect it. And now I will warn you, this case, it's a, it is kind of a tight fit. It's hard. I had to get sighted help getting the phone into the case because I just could not get the thing in there on my own. He and his wife both tried helping me over the phone, and it just didn't work. I, so I think as far as the battery life on the SE2020 is concerned, if you get a good, good enough case, I, I know ever since I've used this case, the battery life seems to be better and, of course, the nice thing is if the battery goes down, you just press it and hold the button on the back of the case and just hold it until you hear the phone make its sound that indicates it's charging, and that seems to work. And then I just have to plug it into the wall every other night. Brian Borowski is writing in on the email that we had from Trudy a couple of weeks ago. You may recall she had new hearing aids, and she was experiencing this sense that there was some sort of barrier in front of her, an echolocation issue. And as the wearer of digital hearing aids for, I don't know, 25 years or more, it is something that I personally have not experienced. Brian Borowski has. He says the reason this happens is because all modern hearing aids are using DSP, digital signal processing technology. The audio signal is converted to a digital signal processed and then digital to analogued back for the user to hear. 
This process is done quickly in these devices due to making the various parts efficient and being able to do much of it in hardware. From my experience, says Brian, the signal propagation delay from microphone to earphone seems to be approximately 5.7 milliseconds. DSP is used so they can implement various features, wind noise rejection, audio focusing, voice enhancement, sound frequency contouring, etc. I have hearing aids that I use occasionally due to only having a slight loss in frequencies between about 2.8 kHz to about 6.5 kHz. And when I wear these, there is a virtual wall about one meter in front of me. The image isn't too strong, but it's there. My brother David and I have been echolocators since the late 50s when we worked out the process at age four. Echolocators can experience these virtual walls when walking by a noisy lawnmower due to the continuous pulsing and false echoes from that sort of repetitive type of sound source. It's like radar systems can see false images when sending out a stream of continuous identical pulses, and these have to be accounted for in the image processing. Trudy can get around this a bit by sending out a stronger signal, clicking and listening for both echoes and training yourself to accept the virtual wall, ignoring it and focusing on the real returning signal. It is a problem, though. If your hearing aid is doing more DSP to enable additional features, this can slightly change the position of the virtual image in front of you. Extra propagation time required to do the work. You can retrain your brain to work around this problem, and in fact, the hearing aids can provide stronger reflections, so you can hear more returning echo. The audiologist was not able to understand my concerns about this, and I tried to get them to look into what the signal propagation of the Venture chipset used in my hearing aids was, but we were unable to get the information. Thanks for that, Brian. Yeah, I can understand that the audiologist may have had trouble comprehending that, because I tell you what, in my experience, the care and feeding of audiologists from a blindness perspective is a real challenge, and you just got to get lucky. If you live in a city large enough, Sometimes you do just have to bite the bullet and change audiologist. Your hearing as a blind person is too important not to get somebody who really understands. And if they don't immediately understand everything, who at least is willing to go and try to find out the answers? For example, I've even had trouble getting audiologists to understand the difference between stereo and the same signal mono coming from both ears. One of the big problems with some of these FM systems where you can put a microphone on the table and amplify the signals in a meeting environment, for example, is that they are mono. I mean, they're coming through both hearing aids, but you don't get a sense of where the speaker is speaking from. And obviously, if you're a blind person trying to look at the person talking, you have no idea where they're coming from if you've been fed a mono signal. If you can see them, You know to look at their lips moving and you turn in their direction. But if you can't, you can't do that. And it is amazing how many times over the years audiologists have said to me, oh, but it's coming through both your hearing aids. (laughs) It really is a shame that we can't start some sort of dialogue 
with hearing aid manufacturers and the manufacturers of hearing aid accessories. It is interesting. I mean, I don't know whether I am a super expert echolocation user. I use it. I snap my fingers. Sometimes I make clicking sounds to help find out what's around me, and I do get feedback, and I've not noticed this myself. So it may well depend on things like whether you're using in-the-ear hearing aids and various other things like that. But it's a fascinating subject, echolocation and hearing aids. And I really appreciate your insight on that, Brian. Some comments coming in on Lear and RSS. Brian Gaff says, one thing I'd like to do with RSS texts is save them as text files. This is handy if I am preparing a script for real persons to read and I may wish to sub down some news as part of that script. I had the idea of saving the text to Dropbox and then accessing it on the PC. I have not ever found a good RSS reader for the PC, which actually works with a screen reader. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, I do this all the time with Lear on iOS, and I select text in articles, copy to the clipboard, and then I open Ulysses and paste in there and then save in Dropbox. And once that's done, of course, I can edit either with Ulysses itself, which is a really good experience, or on the PC. Adi describes Lear as the Wonder app. He says, there's so much to talk about Lear. I will keep it short. Okay. I love the app, and it is amongst my five most favorite apps on iOS. The accessibility is so amazing that it makes the experience of using Lear just awesome. I will highly recommend anyone interested in consuming news of different genres get this app. Quite right. And someone who's done exactly that is Sandy Finley, who says, Jonathan, I have been considering delving into the world of RSS feeds. And after listening to your episode on Lear, I did. I have figured out how to configure it the way I like, and I am happily reading articles from subscriptions. I have, however, one area of confusion. I am still not sure how to find RSS feeds on existing websites. For example, is there a way to download articles from the New York Times or Vox? I am not even sure if this can be done. I went to a couple of sites and tried finding RSS with the item chooser, but was told there was nothing matching that search string. Is that because there is not, or am I doing something wrong? It can be hard to find RSS feeds on a site, Using Layer 4, you should be able to just type in what you're looking for. So you should be able to type in the New York Times in the search field when you want to add a feed and see what comes up. If nothing comes up there, then I would revert to Google and type in something like New York Times RSS and see if that works. So a Google search with site name and then a space and RSS should bring them up for you if they exist. And finally, you can try fossicking around the website. Two common ways of getting at RSS feeds are to go to website.com slash RSS, just do a slash RSS at the end of the website name, or website.com slash feed. Try doing that and see if you get an RSS feed at the end. But I have found Larry's, I'm sorry, Les search feature pretty good. It's time for another exciting post-election Bonnie Bulletin. Hi, guys. I guess you've got a husband back now. Yeah, exactly. 
It's been quiet around here, eh? Very quiet. Yeah. Although you keep saying you have nothing to do, which I don't quite understand. I do it to aggravate you. I know. Because I know it aggravates it you when aggravate. I say it. It's like having a toddler. <laughs> a five-year-old. And something. I say, there's nothing to do. And you say, you're the most motivated person I know. That's, that's yeah, what, exactly. That's what you exactly. keep saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's plenty to do. That's what you keep saying. Yes. Yeah. Take some time to not do anything. You know. You I do. I'm a very good meditator, I'll have you know. Then I'll, Sh- the next time you say you have nothing to do, I'll tell you to go meditate. Then. All right, then fine. Cool. Can I tell you about some tweets? Yeah. There's one here from Alison Malloy. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it, although eloquence emphasizes it wrong. It says Alison Malloy. 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 It's like some sort of metal. Yes, like alloy. Alloy. alloy yeah. Yes. You just call her alloy. Alloy, yeah, because a, that's a, like a compound word Be between like Alison and Malloy. and Malloy. It's like her rapper Alloy. Name. That could be her rapper name or something. Yes, I think she'd be really good at rapping. She says, I upgraded to a 12 Pro Max 256 Gigglebyte Pacific Blue. Oh, we've both got Pacific Blue. I can't wait for Friday, she says. And she's been working from home and she's going to be on her front porch (laughs) so that she doesn't miss the arrival of the thing. Yeah, that's or a, any porch pirates coming that's along. That's a terrible thing. And, of course, sometimes I do have to – I mean, we, we don't have COVID-19 in the community at all uh, here. And so uh, sometimes Actually, I – Actually, we have one. I do, in Auckland we do, but yeah. not, not in Wellington. Not in Wellington. One, yeah. one, it, like, when we get one case of COVID-19 in the community, it's like national headline yeah. news. <laughs> so sometimes I do go out to meetings. So Heidi very kindly comes and babysits the courier thing for me because, yeah, I mean, it would be terrible to miss can't the, be trusted miss the iPhone. Well, I mean, they wouldn't leave an iPhone on no, the doorstep anyway. because the porch pirates would get it. Yeah, well, I, I, I've never had anything stolen, I have to say. A friend, of mine, on the wall. friend of mine had her Braille book, her Braille magazine stolen. Well, I hope they enjoyed them. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah. I think they brought him back. Now, Katie Frederick is also in touch from the great state of Ohio, which she did not deliver for President-elect Biden. But anyway, she says that she cannot wait for Tuesday's event with three exclamation marks. This is the Apple one. Oh, okay. She says, I'm so excited about the new Macs. I plan to pre-order one. And so I said, couldn't you just accidentally put our address as the shipping address when hmm. she does the order? And she said, in your dreams, mate. How unreasonable is this? Bruce Taves is also commenting on the Cars for Kids commercial. He had to promise Caroline that he would stop singing it. Yes. It's a great discovery. And I've even been playing it on the Yamaha keyboard. You have. I mean, I've heard the thing for 20 years and you're just discovering it. That big loo. But tell me this. What do they do with the cars when you donate them them. that benefit the kids? They sell them to raise money. It's, oh, it's is that like, how it yeah, works? Yeah, it's like any that... of the – they, I guess they fix them. I thought them they up. might give them to the kids to drive. No, I think <laughs> they uh, – people correct me if I'm wrong. It's like all these – because NFB has a car donation. A lot of charities have car donation programs where you can donate your old car even if it doesn't run. And they – I don't know. They may sell the parts off of it. I don't know. But they do – it is to raise money. It is a fundraiser. You would think that with all of the blind musicians out there, some of them extremely good, that NFB could come up with a jingle for their car donation program Maybe. even better than the Cars the car- for Kids one. Yeah, Cars for Canes, but then they probably get in trouble. Cars for Canes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's great, isn't it? And I looked it up on the tube, 
And there are actually quite a lot of versions of yeah, it. Yeah, there's a rock one. and Yeah, and different kids have sung it over the years. And they had this little montage where they were talking to some kids about how it changed their lives being yeah. in the in the commercial. Well, they're they're still getting residuals off it, so financially they've 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 done well with it. I guess the jingle might predate the web because, of course, there's no website call to action in the uh, in the jingle. That's the downside, isn't it? Yeah, that is a bit strange. Well, I guess because I if it's it such a- an effective jingle, maybe they just didn't want to mess with it when yeah. the web came along. I imagine maybe. Any other thoughts on this rainy Sunday morning? Ah, uh, just congratulations to Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe, yeah. okay. And, um, you know, got a tough road ahead of you, I think, with any president. I'm sure he's tuned in now from uh, Wilmington, from basement, Delaware. From his basement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he really does have a basement. It's it's sort of become. Most Americans have a basement. Yeah, it's sort house, of become they? like this gag line, but he really does have a basement. So, and, and, and he does that, go down in there. So. That's something that New Zealanders don't tend to have mm-hmm. in their houses. No, it's it basement. They're structured differently. Yeah. I quite like the basement concept. Uh, it's kind of depends on the basement. Some of them are really nice, and then others are like, Ugh. So congratulations, Joe. Mr. President-elect, I think you need to, you know, show some deference. Mr. President-elect. Yeah. Well, I'll just, that's too long. I'll just call him Joe. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line. It's a U.S. number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large.